Welcome to the Lionshare Podcast for marketing leaders by marketing leaders. Brought to you by Fidelitas Development. Hey, Kyle. Yeah, Tyler. Did you know that they're starting training kids for SEO at a younger and younger age now? Oh, they are? Yeah, even preschool. I didn't and, know that. And uh, you know what the SEO preschoolers have for their breaks? What SEO preschoolers have for their breaks? No, I have no idea. Link juice boxes. Okay. All right. Link juice boxes. Sounds delicious. I'm pretty sure I've seen that sold at a marketing conference. That's... <laughs> <laughs> you make a lot of money off of those. Sure. Is. Of course, I think there was more than uh, just juice in the link juice boxes, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I know what you're saying. All right, boys and girls, welcome to episode 12 of the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. I am one and a half of your awesome hosting team, Tyler Sickmeyer from Fidelitas Development. Your other half, also from Fidelitas Development, is Kyle, plenty of fish, more like plenty of Kyle Weber. Kyle, welcome to the Lion Share Podcast. It's great to be back with you hanging out, and we've got a pretty good episode today. Yeah, we really do. I'm very excited about it. I'm excited about all the content that's been shared today. Yeah, it's going to be great. Yeah, we've got Dan Ferris from Modern Man coming on here in a bit, and a lot of great stuff from him as we hear about how he successfully funded a Kickstarter campaign and did a uh, pretty entertaining viral video that we'll have to put a link to in the show notes. But before we get to that, Kyle, what's in the news? News team, assemble! So recently, a social influencer named Sarah Malati wrote a tell-all article exposing some of the methods used by social influencers to inflate their numbers. So you could bet your bottom dollar. We will put a link in the show notes for that. So you're probably sitting there asking yourself, why in the world would a social influencer want to inflate their numbers? Well, in short, the larger a social influencer's numbers are, the more influential they appear. So the bigger the brand deals they may get. So, so, so it, to make it super short, dollar dollar bills, y'all. <laughs> dollar dollar bills, y'all. Uh, they, they, that's the way that they can make it rain, is what Tyler's trying to say. Okay, so these social media influencers, they are all looking to have these really large follower counts. And the reason why is because it, seems that they would have big influence if they have a large follower account. But a large follower account does not mean a lot of influence and it does not mean high engagement either. We, we've seen this, you know, where everyone's seen this. If you log into Instagram, you can go to almost any account and you'll see that they have, you know, maybe 80,000 followers. But then when you go into a photo, they may only have a couple hundred likes. And that's maybe only five comments. And uh, that's really low engagement. So marketers who are working with social influencers really need to be aware that many of these influencers, they're buying followers, they're buying likes, and they're buying comments. Tyler, do you have any experience with that? Personally, no, I don't have to buy followers. I'm just that popular. So <laughs> of course. <laughs> 
So uh, actually not directly. Like we've never had a client, obviously in Enos as well. We've never had a client that's been kind of caught as a victim of this sort of behavior, but it's something with influencer marketing in general, you have to be very cautious of. And I know that's something we covered back in episode 11 with Nasser and Matt and talked a little bit more about that in general, but there's just more and more data coming out about this. Another video that's been making its way around Facebook, Kyle, is uh, the video of the actual like farm. So not only are these guys able to fake follower counts, they're also able to fake engagement. So if you see this video floating around Facebook, it's literally like something out of the matrix. It's just walls and walls of phones plugged in that are representing quote unquote individual users going around liking pages and generating follows and all the other metrics that marketers rely on to try and figure out if an ad campaign's working or not. It's definitely the wild west out there. It's tough to regulate. Yeah, absolutely. In in fact, Tyler, do you know one of the things that you could do right now, if you wanted to, you could get on a plane, fly to Russia, stand in front of the Kremlin, take a selfie. And then there is, a like machine vending machine. And you could go down to that vending machine and spend a couple bucks. And you, Tyler, could get a couple hundred likes from, you'll never believe this, but you could get a couple hundred likes from half-naked Brazilian men. Oh, uh, who doesn't need more half-naked Brazilian men in their lives? I'm telling you, see, and that's the thing, qualifying that target market is key. But yeah, so there's another video floating around. Uh, it's off of Instagram, in fact. And this guy did. He took a selfie in front of the Kremlin, went down these stairs, and went to a vending machine, put in a, I think it's a couple hundred rubles, if I'm not mistaken. And then... Probably not equivalent to a couple hundred dollars. Probably not. No, I think it's just a couple bucks. Yeah, I think a 200 rubles is like a couple bucks. But uh, he put them in, and immediately, within a minute, he got like 200 likes right off the bat. And, you know, the problem with that is that to inflate those numbers, if you're a real brand, you know, that's probably not what you're looking for. You're not looking for likes coming from, you know, fake half-naked Brazilian men. You might even say that Instagram's Russian to figure that out. (laughs) Nice. Very, very nice. Yeah. So another method that Sarah Malati mentions in her article are something, it's something called Instagram comment pods, which is something else that you need to be aware of as a brand Because say you hire a social influencer, well, they may be part of a network where they all agree to comment on each other's photos. So it's kind of fake engagement, but where it actually might be useful in one regard, if all of those comments can get a certain image on Instagram to the discover page, then you may actually hit the impressions jackpot from that. So it's something to think about, but Once again, she exposes that behavior as well. So Tyler, what do you think is really important for marketers when it comes to metrics and social influencers? I think I would be more cognizant of clicks to website and figuring out, obviously, you know, a lot of e-commerce platforms, uh, you're allowed to integrate a buy button into Instagram. So, you know, when possible, if you can sell directly through the platform and just track sales, there's no better metric than that. I also think I, you know, when it comes to working with an influencer, I'd recommend starting small, testing it, and then seeing what kind of return a brand gets and then expanding it from there. You can always go back and do a follow-up post with more creative or something else that'll continue to drive engagement at a higher level once you've proved that the model works and that the influencer's legit. Yeah. And actually, I, just for our listeners, I want to point that out, something that you said, that sales is, is basically the ultimate metric 
for that. So, you know, for me, I'm of the opinion that 2000 sales is much greater than 20,000 likes, 200,000 likes. It really doesn't matter how many likes or maybe even the engagement. And I'm not saying that, you know, in all cases, because in some cases, obviously brand awareness is really great and engagement about your brand is a wonderful thing. But for most of our marketers working with social influencers, they're going to be looking at the bottom line is what we're paying this social influencer. Are we, are we getting a return on our investment? Exactly. And that's a great point, Kyle. Uh, and again, because it all comes back to ROI at the end of the day, and there are vanity stats that everyone likes to see that their post had X number of likes or follows or clicks or whatever. Sure. But if you didn't drive sales at the end of the day, it wasn't really worth it unless it was a straight up branding campaign. And then if you're tracking impressions, that's an even messier metric to try and measure on social channels like Instagram, where there's so much fake traffic, if you have no real yeah. conversions to back it up. So I, I just advise marketing leaders out there to tread carefully when it comes to that. Yeah, Tyler, I actually even have a fill in the blank quote that you can quote me on here. You ready for this? I'm ready. All right, here, here's that we're going to say marketers in this. And I'm sure that this has probably been said about a million people, but we're just gonna go with it anyway. Here's the fill in the blank quote. Marketers should worry more about actual success than the appearance of success. What do you think? Very true. Great words for marketing or for dating. Either one. Yeah. You can even take that to plenty of fish. Yeah. <laughs> Truth. So Kyle, another interesting article we saw about this while we continue our deep dive into influencers is uh, Digiday put out an article about what influencer marketing really costs. And obviously these numbers are somewhat arbitrary because if you have an agency that can negotiate well, uh, a lot of times you can get especially lower tiered influencers, you know, people with tens of thousands of followers and not hundreds of thousands of followers that don't have as many opportunities on their door. You're able to get them for a little bit of a cheaper rate. So brands and their marketing leaders might be better served to actually go out and get four or five influencers and sort of divest their investment for a better ROI rather than grabbing one influencer with the equivalent number of followers and engagement. But here's some interesting numbers just to kind of keep in mind with that. So they basically on Instagram that they calculated around penny a follow. So for example, if there's a hundred thousand followers, that'd be a thousand bucks for the post. Snapchat campaigns uh, typically started around $500 for a 24 hour campaign. And the price is completely based off of views anywhere from $500 for up to 5,000 views to 10,000 to $30,000 for 50,000 to 100,000 views. So a little bit more arbitrary numbers there. I'd say just make sure you negotiate your metrics ahead of time and negotiate aggressively because it's a buyer's market for brand leaders out there. There are a lot of influencers and want to be influencers. And if you're willing to hustle and find the right people, not only will they give you nice results, but they'll go the extra mile for you as far as added value because they covet more sponsorships like yours. So definitely pay attention to that. And then interestingly enough, compared to 10 to $30,000 for up to 100,000 views on Snapchat, you can get the same 100,000 views on YouTube for two grand or thereabouts. Wow. So now that said, that's not for a dedicated video. A dedicated video could cost significantly more than that. But either either way, there's a lot of opportunity regardless of your budget. You can come in, even if you only have, you know, five to 10 grand to put into an initial campaign, you can get a lot done with that. So it's kind of interesting just to see what the industry at large considers to be status quo for rates when it comes to influencer marketing, which, you know, like we said earlier, is still largely unestablished as a market. It's not like buying a Facebook ad or 
uh, Google AdWords or even, even display advertising. Yeah, and I think another point, just going back to what you said, is it has to be the right influencer. And really, beyond that, they have to have the right audience. And that's something I would encourage all marketers to take a look at, you know, who's engaging with their content. And by looking at that, you should know if it's right for your brand. 100% Kyle. So good stuff today. And uh, without further ado, let's get to our interview with Dan Ferris. All right, we're excited to have Dan Ferris from Modern Man with us today. Dan is a reformed investment professional turned entrepreneur. He's got a passion for building things, both companies and real estate. He's a jack of several trades and a master of creating efficiencies. He's worked in the investment space, both with banks and commercial real estate developers, as well as investment firms. And he's actually been the CEO of three different startups over the course of his career. And besides being a consumer of cheeseburgers, and father of preschoolers, Dan runs the startup Modern Man, uh, which just had a successful Kickstarter campaign, which should be completely concluded by the time this podcast hits people's uh, listening devices. So Dan, congratulations on the uh, Kickstarter campaign and welcome to the Lion Chair Marketing Podcast. Yeah, thanks, Tyler. Appreciate it and I uh, appreciate being here. That's great. So Dan, for those that are a little bit behind the times and haven't heard of Modern Man yet, why don't you fill them in on what you're up to? Yeah, so um, uh, Modern Man is a skincare and grooming company that really is you know, designed for guys by guys. And we are launching on a direct-to-consumer platform on the basically different e-commerce channels. And we'll probably uh, look selectively about going out into brick-and-mortar stores. But you know, we, we, we really want to be able to be something for men to be able to use that's very easy and efficient when they're in the bathroom in their grooming routine, but also see results. And it's something that we saw the opportunity in, in the market a little over a year ago and decided the opportunity was just way too good to pass up, bring something to market that is not out there and help the process. So we're very excited about getting moving and we think there's a bright future ahead for us. Okay, that's great, Dan. So why did you start Modern Man? The, uh, I think most companies really start with solving a personal problem. And a little bit uh, over a year ago, my wife basically told me that I was looking a little older. Uh, so it's you know one of the things that only a wife can tell you and be absolutely right. Yeah. But after you know having run another startup for a few years and we've got two kids you know now four and three, so you know definitely starting to feel my age a little bit. And I completely agreed with my wife and said, you know what, you're right. I should start using better product on my face that actually you know, will do something to, as opposed to just help me remove my facial hair every morning. Uh, so I looked at what she had. And from a product's perspective, there is a ton of things out there for women. And women spend a lot of money on them. They spend a lot of time. And the skin industry is very mature for women. And I looked at what she had. They were good products, but ultimately there were a lot of things that I would have to figure out how to use, what to use, when to use it, why to use it. It was very confusing and it was going to take a lot of time. So I also said, well, I'll use something, but let me find something for guys. There's got to be something simple out there that men can use. And there's definitely a lot of guys, guys products out there too, but it was really a lot of stuff that was for women with men labeled on it or the dedicated guy company still had like four different cleansers and three different washes and serums and tonics. It, it, it was still just as confusing as the women's side. So to solve my own problem, I wanted to come a very simplified system 
for men to be able to use to um, shave their face and take care of it and, you know, have good quality products. And at the same token, very easy and to understand and not take a lot of time to use. So that's what we've spent the last year figuring out research and development and a lot of consumer testing. And, and we think we've really got something that's great that solves my problem. And I think it'll help a lot of guys out in the process. That's awesome, Dan. And so once you developed the product, how did you go about getting the word out for, for what was a completely new brand and a completely new concept? So we haven't actually launched into the market yet. We'll be on the market in July. But our first step was really kind of building the, the groundswell to get us to launch. So back in February, when we launched the website, we actually ran the manliest content ever. And it was user-generated content to be able to have people, um, you know, to show us doing manly things. And it, a lot of women signed up, a lot of men, a lot of kids so it was really a great way to have people enter a contest to become familiar with our brand. And we gave great prizes along the way. The grand prize winner got a trip to the final four for two uh, in Phoenix this year. And from there, we rolled out um, our Kickstarter. So the Kickstarter campaign was a great way for us to get exposure and to see you know, whether or not people would actually buy these products. I mean, we had no idea leading into it um, how well it was going to go. But we reached our Kickstarter goal in 10 days. The project was a great success on Kickstarter. And we're really taking that into launch in July and really looking at exploring a bunch of different avenues to get the word out in July. So say there's another brand out there right now who they're thinking about launching a product. What process did you go through to decide on Kickstarter and what kind of advice can you give maybe other potential brands who are thinking about going that route? What advice would you have for them? Yeah, so I think that for any brand, it's to understand what audience you're going after and what the right avenue is to be able to get that word out. For us, we specifically went down Kickstarter because we knew that we we're not going to be the perfect fit for their audience. A lot of people on Kickstarter are about prototype kind of niche related products that are very unique, may not be mass market eventually, but are very cool. And people want to be early adopters for it. So we went in there knowing that that was the market. And we've got a really cool product, but we're definitely more mainstream. So we went on Kickstarter with very realistic expectations. We weren't expecting to raise a million dollars in our Kickstarter fund to be able to really propel the company you know, to great heights right off the bat. We were just really looking to make sure that we could find the right mix and make sure that we sell into a market with doing our advertising in a very focused way to make sure that we could find our first customers. So for us, it was a test on Kickstarter and not necessarily the end-all, be-all of funding. Okay, excellent. Yeah, very, very good. And so tell us, going back to the manliest contest for a second, what, uh, sure. what, what actually won? Basically, any user could generate uh, their own photo or video and submit it, and they were into weekly prizes that were small in nature, you know, 20 bucks here and there. And then the photo that got the most votes from the entire entry, you know, it was a social media contest, was the grand prize. And we had a guy that was basically rappelling over a waterfall. Uh, and so it was a really cool photo, definitely showed some extremism in it. But um, he also, I think, had a pretty wide network and he was out there really kind of spreading the word for us and also his entry in the process. So I think it worked out well for everybody. That's great. And how would you say that impacted the success of your Kickstarter campaign, having a social campaign like that to sort of launch yourself? I think it did pretty well. We ended the contest with over 600 emails. So we had a pretty captive audience that had entered the manliest contest ever to roll into the Kickstarter campaign. So, you know, it was definitely a component to our success. We you know, went in with those emails and obviously leveraged all of our personal contacts to get uh, the Kickstarter campaign rolling as quickly as possible and 
you know, that's one of the keys to having a successful campaign is getting as much momentum as quickly as you can on that platform. Got it. Excellent. And so uh, tell us, what's the, uh, what's the mission of your company? What's your ultimate end goal with Modern Man, Dan, once you officially launch and get the brand up and running? Yeah, I mean, so our mission statement is really, we're all about keeping the human race alive by making men look their best, be more confident, lead healthier lives. If guys don't look good, then, you know, the human race is just not going to survive. <laughs> As part of our mission, we all give 10% of our profits to related charities. So we really want to be able to help men with our product, but we also want to be able to help men as a company and through a charitable organization. So, you know, like I said in the beginning, our products are for men and by men. And, you know, it's not to say that, you know, we don't care about women. We actually, you know, care about everybody, but we want to make sure that we are, are helping people in every possible way that would be our brand or product. Okay. Now, how is Modern Man setting themselves apart from all the other products that are out there? What makes modern man different? You know, one of the main things is that the beauty industry in general has been developed over the last 40, 50 years, and it's been predominantly based on women. And part of that is, you know, just societal. And the other part is really just the consumers of the products in a big way. But over the past five to 10 years, we've seen a lot of shift in the marketplace where guys are starting to use the product. And, you know, for lack of a better term, metrosexuals, you know, it came into mainstream focus, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, but they were always seen as kind of fringe users of these products that were used for women's products or very highly targeted products. Mm -hmm. So that is still what is predominantly on the market today. We actually didn't look at what products we could bring into the market. We looked at how guys use products. 80% of the men in the U.S. spend less than five minutes a day shaving their face or putting in type, any type of skin, you know, moisturizer or cleanser in their face. So, you know, it's got to be simple. It's got to be straightforward. And that's how we started is what can we do to have a guy use great products that still don't take that much time or hassle. So we engineered all of our products to fit into a man's existing routine where everybody else is really just developing, you know, more more products and trying to sell them to men to change or augment their existing routine. And we want to make sure that we fit what they're already doing. The other differentiation is that there are a couple of companies out there that are really looking at systems for guys to use, not as simplified as ours, but we also didn't look at it as a one-size-fits-all model. Everybody's got different skin types, so we created three separate lines that are really simple to understand. We had an anti-aging line, a sensitive skin line, and an acne treatment line. So as a guy, as long as you know generally what your skin type or concern is, then you can just pick the line and then choose your two-step system. So we, we think that we've got something really focused on how guys use product versus just create another product that's an also ran in the market. Yeah, I, I, I kind of got a flavor of that from the video that I saw on your website, and I thought it was done really well. Can you tell us a little bit about maybe the brand voice you decided on for your video and for your brand and what it was like filming that video? Yeah, so um, the brand voice for us is, again, going back to just men uh, in general and you know, the way the market has traditionally done things, very serious and, and aspirational beauty. And we really wanted to speak to guys. And, you know, most men want to keep it lighthearted, especially whenever you're talking about skincare. You know, whether guys talk about it or not is, is one thing, but, you know, whether or not it's memorable is another. So we really wanted to focus our brand and our voice around relating to guys and doing it, you know, in a, in a kind of lighthearted manner. Um, in terms of filming the video, we, uh, we worked with a really great production firm. I've never been on camera before, uh, my entire life, never been in the drama 
or in plays or anything. So that was a first and very unique experience for me. So, you know, it, it was something that was a learning process. Ultimately, you know, we hired a great, you know, like I said, great production company, and they, they really worked with me to kind of get through that process. And we basically descended on a location and filmed the whole thing from eight in the morning to like six at night, shot it all in a day. And uh, I think it turned out really well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think that it really will relate to Maine. It's got that really funny vibe to it. And yeah, it's educational at the same time. And it hits, it hits those you know, different skin types as well. I, I noticed that that's what you did in there. So I thought it was really great. Okay, so Dan, what is the biggest challenge that you're facing with Modern Man? Yeah, I think that, um, you know, for us, it's, it's really getting the word out. And I think that, you know, probably that, that's the same across on consumer products uh, company that comes out is, is, you know, just getting people aware of what you're doing, even if you have a great product. For us specifically with men and skincare, it's a growing mark and there's a lot of growing awareness out there on it. But it's not something that men talk about on a daily basis. Uh, whenever you think locker room talk, they're not in there talking about their exfoliation and, you know, how they take care of their skin. Right. So, you know, I think that it's becoming a part of the conversation, but also trying to grow the conversation at the same time. That's great. And so, Dan, important question for you here. What kind of guarantees are you willing to make regarding the success of the Martin Mayan product for, uh, say, single gentlemen like a Kyle Weber, for for instance. So, 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 so if Kyle was to start using your product, what kind of results would you be willing to guarantee him? Well, I mean, you know, Kyle, I think that the first guarantee we can offer is that, you know, we'll take back an empty bottle after 30 days. If you've been using the product, and you don't see any results on it and you're not happy with it, then just go ahead and return it. We'll take it back. But the main thing about any skincare and grooming routine is that it's done consistently. So by picking your line, if you have acne or sensitive skin or anti-aging, if you're using our product for 30 days and you're using it on a consistent basis, then you're going to see, you know, your desired results. And the acne will either decrease the sensitivity of your skin and redness will go away and ultimately, you know, give you the, give you the confidence you need, um, you know, make you a little bit more attractive and really get there in the world and, and, and really enjoy, you know, not be so self-conscious about what may be going on uh, with your face beforehand. Well, that's great. And I'll let you know in 30 days what happens. Women in Nashville, beware. Kyle's got a new uh, weapon in his arsenal after this uh, podcast episode. <laughs> in all seriousness, though, Dan, that's a great point for the marketing leaders listening out there regarding being willing to guarantee a new product. Again, you've got to work to build consumer trust. And it sounds like you're definitely taking all the right steps to do that by offering that 30-day guarantee, even with an empty bottle. And I'd go out on a limb to say, you're probably not going to get very many bottles back. It seems like you've been doing everything the right way. So kudos for taking the steps to build that consumer trust on the front end uh, for that long-term brand loyalty. Yeah. I mean, I think for us, it's not about, you know, the quick sale and, and not actually providing any benefit. I mean, the whole reason why we started this company is to, to help guys out and we want to build, you know, a long-term relationship in business. And if you're not happy with the product, you're not going to use it. And with anything physical in nature, you, you got to make sure that you're, uh, you're doing it on a regular basis. I mean, you can't go to the gym and knock out a couple sets of bench one time a month and expect to get those small pecs. So, you know, skincare is no different. And, you know, we think that we've got a great product to help guys out. You're right, Dan. Kyle, how many times a week do you go to the gym for those swollen pecs? <laughs> yeah, I, 
I'm pretty much too embarrassed to answer that question on a podcast. So next question, please. <laughs> so, all right. So backtracking for a minute, Dan, to the quite entertaining video that you put together, which we'll put a link in the show notes for our listeners so they can check it out. So when it came to that video, what tips would you give other marketing leaders looking to dive into video for the first time for their brands? Yeah, I think the first thing is for you, you know, as the startup, as the owner, is that it doesn't have to be drilled down to the point where, you know, you've got an entire script written and your cast is already done and you just have to find somebody to hold the camera for you. But you definitely want to have an idea of what your vision is and how you want it to come out. I mean, you, you can work with some great teams and, you know, great creative partners to, to help you kind of flush that out a little bit. But ultimately, you know, it's got to be in the core of what you believe. Uh, and then the second thing is finding great create, creative partners and, you know, a production company because, you know, you're going to want somebody that's been there and done that and made these videos before to be able to kind of dive into the details and make sure that your vision gets out the way you want it to. That's awesome. Yeah, great, great advice for marketing leaders out there. Uh, again, on the video side, video is a great tool, especially with, you know, Facebook and YouTube and all the different social channels integrating more of it. There's a lot of opportunity there. and and chances are you'll actually be able to reuse a lot of the content that you shot. I, I know. And again, uh, props to Dan and his team. They shot their video in such a way. And you'll understand when you watch it, that it's not Kickstarter centric to where you have to put, only use that video for your Kickstarter campaign. Now that's over, you can do a little bit of uh, maneuvering on in, in the post-production side. And you've got a great resource for some of your future marketing campaigns. Yeah. And we, um, we, we did shoot it with that intention in mind. We actually shot, you know, just the last five seconds and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely be repurposing that actual video for the launch and, and moving forward as well. So that's a good point. Yeah, that's great. And so, uh, what's your strategy for, again, as you prepare to launch you uh, obviously as with most marketing leaders, you're, you're playing chess, not checkers. So post launch, what's your strategy for customer retention look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, for customer retention for us, it's all about providing, you know, A, a great product. I think that if you have great marketing, but your product doesn't actually back up what you're, what you're you know, selling effectively with your marketing, then you're not going to be able to retain your customers. I think that our product is going to be able to, you know, we just have to get the word out for people to find it. But in terms of, you know, customer retention and moving forward, we're going to be implementing a lot of the things that, you know, are technically available for not a whole lot of money to most people who are running e-commerce businesses at this point with email and, you know, follow up emails and just, you know, kind of customer service and pop-ups on the website and things like that. And we're above that. We definitely want to be able to form relationships with our customers, you know, highlight uh, people that have had success stories, you know, before and after photos, uh, you know, send people, you know, nice handwritten cards and things on their birthdays if we have that information. So, you know, we're, we're going to try to make sure we do everything we can to build a community and, you know, keep people happy. That's awesome, Dan, and uh, want to be respectful of your time here, but want to ask one follow-up question, which is for our marketing leaders listening out there, if you could share one tip or one key takeaway from, from listening to our conversation today, what would you want that to be? That, you know, it's definitely an uphill battle. I think that, you know, a lot of people out there, especially in, in our industry and, you know, talking to other investors and just people that are getting into the men's skincare sphere is Dollar Shave Club. And, you know, they killed it, had a viral video overnight and just launched themselves into the stratosphere from day one. But, you know, for everybody else out there who aren't as fortunate, it's something where you got to make sure you are constantly putting out good materials, handling your customers, nurturing leads, 
making sure your product can speak for itself. So, you know, it's a build. It's uh, it's not an overnight success. And, you know, most overnight successes take years. And you just don't hear about those things. Yeah, that's, that's a great point, Dan. And again, I think the, the guys from Google passionately refer to themselves as the 15-year overnight successes. So the <laughs> same thing. <laughs> Dan, thank you so much for taking some time to join Kyle and I on the Lion Share Marketing Podcast. It's been a pleasure. And until next time, uh, if our listeners want to get in touch or find out more about the Modern Man brand and, and, and the product itself, where can they go to learn more? Yeah, they can go uh, directly to our website, everything up there. It's um, uh, just Modern Man, and there's no E in modern. So dot com. That's the modern way to spell things, by the way, is to drop Obviously. a vowel. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah. there's no reason to have vowels anymore. I mean, it's all tech shorthand these days. Yeah, yeah that's, that's exactly right. So I appreciate the efficiency. And uh, I, I speak for Kyle and I both. We say we really appreciate having you on. So Dan, thanks again for joining us today. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks again to Dan Ferris from Modern Man for a great interview, uh, great conversations around marketing and what he's up to with Modern Man and definitely a brand to watch uh, throughout the rest of the year and beyond. Best of luck to Dan on that side of things. Also, uh, if you haven't subscribed yet to the Lion Share Marketing Podcast, we would be humbled and honored and, and elated, ecstatic. Kyle, any other uh, adjectives you want to throw in there? Those are a lot of adjectives. There's, I got a whole book of them. It's called the Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> They're very descriptive. I thought they were beautiful. Nice job. Thank you. Regardless, it'd be great if you could give us a subscribe. And until next time, cheers. You've been listening to the Lion's Share Podcast, brought to you by Fidelitas Development, your marketing partner for better brand loyalty.